Okay, this morning I'm just going to read uh, from, from Hebrews, uh, the fourth chapter. And I'm just going to start in, in verse 1. It says, let us, and of course Paul here, and who I believe uh, is the one, not to get into that, but definitely I believe he's the one that wrote Hebrews because as we have said, the way that he has signed each and every one of his epistles, he, he made it clear uh, by in each one how he would talk about mercy, grace, and peace. He would always sign off. He, and again, we have said before, he didn't put his, his name on this particular part here for a first reason was because he was dealing uh, Christ was dealing with him, and for him to be able to deal with his, the people that he so loved, the Jews that were constantly rejecting him and constantly seeking opportunity to kill him, so that he could still minister truth to them, and even those that would, that would be taught that grace, but then would go right back into the legalism of the flesh and the law and become his enemy. He didn't put his name with this, and that's why even here we see in Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, the apostle, if there ever, and we know that the word apostle, there it speaks of a messenger, a special messenger, and boy, was Jesus Christ, is he that? He, the word that was made flesh in John 1 and verse 14. So he said, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Again, if you see a profession in any translations, you can very nicely cross it out and always put confession. He's our confession. And that speaks of a, a beautiful, intimate experience. So the, high, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, a Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, that made him, you see, appointed, really, the great, it says made him. He made him to be that faithful leader over the, over his, the house. So here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and this is what Jesus wants us to hear in the most beautiful way here this morning. In Hebrews 4 and verse 1, he says, let us therefore fear, let us reverence him and be in awe constantly of him. Lest a promise that has left us, that has been given to us of entering into his rest. You see what this is speaking, in, especially in the day and the age that we are living in right now, where you hear constantly now these mass shootings. Another one in Kentucky. Another one in Alabama. All these things going on with uh, these things we know in prophecy with Russia and China and all of these different things going on. And so these things could cause great fear with us within, as Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. It could cause great fear in us. And then there's fightings without. And we know in both those cases, that's the enemy trying to get us to turn us away from looking unto Jesus as he is our leader. He is our apostle. He's the one that's leading us through all of this. That's a, it's a beautiful psalm. In Psalm 23 and verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. He's in us and he's with us, especially during these times. So let us therefore 
Let us therefore have the right kind of fear, godly reverence, which keeps out the fear that has torment in 1 John 4 and verse 18, so that we don't forget this particular promise. You see, God gives us particular promises which are loaded with his counsel, his power, and his wisdom for us, each of us individually, and then collectively as the as his local assemblies in different areas where we are, and he's leading us through. And so here, of entering into what? What are these promises? When I get a promise from God, and all the promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are yea, and amen in Christ, they're settled. So because of that, God is going to give each of us specific prom promises for the circumstance, the situation, the job. doesn't matter. He's going to give us these specific things because he's so lovingly and with great wisdom and grace leading us through. He's leading us through. He's in us. He's with us. And he's behind us. And he's underneath us in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. And he's leading us to our face-to-face -face meeting with him in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12 and in Revelation 2 and verse 17. But these promises that he's given us, because what kind of a world are we in? The satanic worldly system in Isaiah 57 verse 19, and we've shared this recently, that he speaks peace. He speaks it through his son, his son that's propitiated him, his son that's become the substitute, especially for those that have received him and are thereby reconciled, but also to them. And it says in Isaiah 57 and verse 19, he speaks peace, peace to them that are near, that's us, and then to them that are far off. And then far off can be the unsaved, but it can be us when we get away from him. And he's speaking peace to us. He's speaking peace because the enemy wants to stir up. And the only way he can do it in the Christian is through getting them to live in the lie of the flesh. Like that's who they are now. It's not who we are. We don't know one another after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. We're all brand new in him in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And the brand new is these particular promises and counsel that he gives us specifically for that specific time, right when we need it. And we're going to see that in this fourth chapter here. And so he says that these promises, because he's going to constantly, he wants to constantly bring in the rest of our position into our particular experience condition and the particular place where we are. And so he's being very specific. When we see these things, not that our heart doesn't go out to people that have been shot and killed uh, and, and all of these different things that are going on uh, with the saved and the unsaved, not that we don't not that we don't get touched by them. We do, but we get touched by them in a way where there's no fear because of a reverent awe of him. And so with that, when he gives us these promises, then with those promises, specific too, in Romans 12, verse 21, you, we can be not overcome of evil. See, that's what, it was, what is not godly fear is evil. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's a worldly, the spirit of fear. But of what? Of power 
And Christ is the power in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And, and with that power comes tremendous wisdom, which his love flows through. And he's given us that. And then we're kept experientially. We're kept in our position, but now he wants to keep us in our experience. And in 1 Peter 1, 5, we are kept by the power of God. We know that that's Christ. For us to experience it, he gives us these particular promises so that when the enemy comes in and speaks fear, tries to, and tries to project fear upon us, he brings in specific promises for us individually because he knows us so deeply. And so because of that, uh, that, so the enemy comes in with fear so that we don't enter into his rest. And then we seem to fall short. And when we fall short of what we have in Christ experientially, then we have to go to something other than him. And that's going to ultimately fail because we know in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, love never fails. Verse 2, it says this, For unto us was the gospel preached. This is In this particular place here, this is the whole Christian life. This is the whole Christian life here that it's talking about. For the gospel was preached unto us as well unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Because they weren't resting. Where do we rest? In his love. And so, is there any profit? If I have not love experientially, and this is what the enemy tries to reduce us down to in our experience based upon his lies in John 8 and verse 44, is that if I have not love, if I don't experience his love, then what does it say? I am nothing. Nothing makes any sense. We look at circumstances, we look at situations, we look at the world system when we look away from him. In Hebrews 12, 2, look away from all that distract unto Jesus. You see, in Hebrews 12, 2, because the enemy, some of his subtle weights are trying to put on us what's going on in the world system. And they can be weights. But what, what, what he gives it, what he allows us for that is to bring us to a place where we absolutely rely on him. And then we, we, we can enter into prayer uh, for others. So, but the word it says, preach, did not profit them. And if, and if I have not love in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it profits me what? Nothing. You see that? So the enemy wants us to get to look inwardly apart from Christ and tell me when I don't experience his love, when I believe the lies of the enemy, oh, I'm not this and I'm not that. These people have this. When we, each of us, have Christ in us, each of us, we already are supreme success because we have Christ in us. And he's in us in a way that no one else is like him in each particular one of us. Isn't it amazing? Because he did it so particularly for each of us. And so, again, it says, and then it doesn't profit us. So we look in and there's nothing because we're not experiencing his love because we give place to a lie. And then when I look out to other things that try to replace him and it's not him, what does it profit me? It profits me nothing. 
And so here we can see very clearly, this is what, what the Lord wants us to be occupied with this morning, right in the midst of this evil world system. You see, it didn't profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, in them that heard it. For we which have believed constantly, and this is a continual, this is a continual life of constantly trusting him, not going by our feelings, not looking within, not looking without, but looking up to him. In Hebrews 12, to looking away from all that will distract. For when we do believe and experience the truth that Christ is in each of us, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we enter into the place where he's resting. He's our resting place. He, he only is our resting place. Everything else will be done away with it. And so we do enter into his, his rest. And as he sworn in my wrath, he said, if they will not enter into my rest. Now, there's no wrath against us, but this is for the, even for the unsaved. This is not talking about us. And this is, this is those that would have once experienced the rest of his love, but then have gone back to the flesh. And what is left there? the enemy. He can deal with Christians and, and use the lie of wrath against them and get them all into all kinds of trouble and all, kind of, all kinds of bondage trying to get away from it. And so it's, he said, I've, I sworn in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And he's done that potentially for all. Now, he's finished it for us in Christ. Now, what he's doing then, and in this world system, is he's working in our experience when our eyes are on him, off ourselves, off the world, not being ignorant of it. Matthew 10 and verse 16, we're going to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. We're not going to be overcome with evil. We're not going to be overcome with evil, but we're going to overcome evil with, with good. And what is the good? It's God's love for us experientially, keeping us and leading us right through all the evil. And so the works were finished. Verse 4, he says, For he spoke in a certain place on the seventh day of, on this particular, with this wisdom that God did rest the seventh day from all his works. He's referring Back, of course, it's always spiritual first, but then he's going on into the creation in Genesis 1, 1 through 31, finishing it in Genesis 2, 1 and 2, his Sabbath rest. He is resting, God himself, God the Father, is resting in his Son who, who finished propitiation for him so that now he offers him to us as our substitute and we have received him we have actually received him. Now, now what he does is he brings it into our experience so that we can experience that rest. Listen, this particular rest that he has for each one of us as individuals. He has, he has individual specific experiential rest for us, each and every single one of us, so that we don't get overcome with all this evil. Because it could happen if our eyes get away from him. And so, and then, of course, we go to all those other things. And then it says, and in this place again, if they were entered into, 
uh, uh, my rest. You see, Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 said God says God is resting in his love. What's that? He's resting in his son and what he's accomplished in propitiation for him. So he's resting in his love. And that is our place. And when I rest in Christ, I rest in the fact that I have a father. That I have a loving father who's constantly, constantly with me, constantly in me. Seeing, therefore, it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. There's this tremendous unbelief. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. He seeks to bring in this, the, the, the lie of unbelief when we look away from Jesus, when we look away, when our eyes get off of him, and then they begin to get on myself. And if they're not on myself, they're on to what is happening all around. And that comes in. But thank God we have that peace in Philippians 4, 7. That peace, that, uh, that irene, that E-I-R-E-N-E, that peace that keeps God all around me keeps all around me and he keeps me safe in that peace and he keeps me when I rest in his love and experience his peace. It keeps me from going outside of that and keeps out all the outside stuff from entering in. And this is very key for us to understand this morning. Again, he limited a certain day saying in David today after so long a time as it is say, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, and this is the key for us, this is what makes so important hearing the word of God. It is the most important thing that we could do. And, and, and honestly, it is. And so, again, he limited, he said, today, if you will hear my voice. You know what that's speaking of? That God is constantly speaking to us, constantly through his word. He can't, and he never speaks to us outside his son. And that always speaks of an intimate love. So he's speaking to us, each of us, each of us, and saying, if you will hear his voice, sheep hear his voice in John 10, 3. And you see there's a multitude of other voices in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. There's a multitude of other voices that come against the one voice where God speaks to us and he speaks peace to us. That's what he's constantly speaking to us in these troubled times like never before that we are, that we are in right now. And so today he says, if you will hear his voice, it will keep the enemy from hardening your experience so that you don't experience his love, his peace entering into you. And see, this is, these are tremendous opportunities and choices that we have. And it says here, for if Jesus, if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards also sp spoken of another day? No, we already have that. And we already have that rest. And so there remains, therefore, a, a what? A Sabbath, a rest the Sabbath rest of God himself. To who? To the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works. And of course, for us as Christians, what are works? 
Well, in Romans 14, 22, it says, happy is the man that condemns not himself in the thing that he allows. And then it says in 14, 23, and he that doubts, you see, that's works. He that's doubt, that doubts, he that disbelieves, he, he that gets overwhelmed, you see, he that doubts is going to experience what? Is damned if he eat. Is God damning him? Would he do that to his son? And he wouldn't. He would not. So he that doubts is damned if he eat because he doesn't eat of faith. You see, this is what we're talking about. Complete dependence upon him constantly as he's leading us through. Leading us through onto our face-to-face meeting with him. And he's given us counsel the whole way so that we can feed on him. He's like the manna in Exodus 16 and verse 15 that came down faithfully and answered all of their murmurings and their hunger. You see, that was the manna and that was a type of Christ coming down. You know, he still comes down and still desires to come down into our experience. That same manna that was constantly coming down. And that's what Jesus was bringing out to those unbelieving Pharisees in John. And that's what he speaks to the unbelieving flesh that we can function in, but that we're not of in Romans 8, 9. But in John chapter 6 and verse 30, right to verse 58, he talks about himself. He was that manna that came down that gave them the energy that they would feed on to keep them going forward and not settling down and trying to deal with the fears of the enemy, and trying to deal with the lies of the enemy, but just to continue to go forward. As he told Moses, when he said to them, he said to Moses in Exodus 14, 13, stand still. That's rest, rest in his love, stand still. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord. For the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. In Exodus 14, 14, it is the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And then he said to Moses, then with all of that counsel being said, what did he say? Go forward. Go forward. And not only lead yourself, but lead those that, re- that God has given under you for you, for, him to re- for you to rely on him and then for that to flow through to those others. And so here... He that has entered into his rest, the rest that that God is and that Christ is, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us, what? Labor. Let us strive in a good sense. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, it says, no, it says disobedience. When I don't rest in his love, literally, it, it, can lead to, it can lead to absolute disobedience or it could be the many causes of why believers don't rest in his love that he loves, that he's given them in their position but they don't experience because they live in disobedience. And, uh, but thank God, he always makes a way for us to return unto him. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul. You see, the soul without the Spirit and the Holy Spirit bringing in the reality of a proper experience of who Christ is in them and in us as a treasure. We live in a soul. That means we relate everything to ourself. We forget God 
and we forget about everyone else. We do. As much as even in the soul, without Christ, without experiencing Him, when we say we're thinking of others, we're only thinking of ourselves. But the, the Word comes in, and it's fine-tuned counsel, and it's fine-tuned counsel, and separates the soul from the spirit. And it goes into how Christ, when he was given as the sacrifice, he was, every part was severed, and nothing in it, nothing in it, but was what purity. Verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. Notice that? There's not a human being that is not revealed to his sight. How much more for you and I? How much more for that, for you and I? And as we begin to close this this morning, and and I do desire to get into it uh, in a a deeper way, uh, possibly uh, in the week following, but it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 15, seeing then. See, we need God's sight. And God's sight is is Jesus Christ. Seeing then, and this is what he wants us to see in our everyday circumstances and situations, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, no matter who he has around us, this is what he wants us to understand in the midst of all of that's going on in our country and all around this whole world system, he wants us to see then that we have a great high priest. There's where the enemy wants to get our eyes off of. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, and this is what it is, our confession. Do you see when my experience is not equal to who Christ is in my position, then I only have a profession. I profess these things, I can declare them, but I don't experience them. But when I do experience them, when he is my all, I mean, when he's reduced us, and that's what God allows all these things to happen in our life. He allows all these circumstances and all these situations to do what? To reduce us down to his rest. And that's why, and many times we wouldn't if we didn't have these disturbances and these distractions that happen and that Satan tries to use for evil, but in Genesis 50, verse 20, God means for good. Seeing then that we do have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's the proper word if you have a translation and it says profession, you need to cross it out and put confession. That's the proper word there in the original languages. Verse 15, as we, begin to, as we begin to wrap this up this morning. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tested, not tempted, meaning he went through it, but he went through it for us as a substitute. See, he was already acting as a substitute long before the cross. And that's what he wants to teach us this morning. He has gone through he, every fear and every evil thing. He's experienced fully more than anyone had, ever has. And he did it for us. And he's our substitute. In exchange for all that fear, 
We have the love and rest of his, of his peace that he wants to bring to us. So we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point, and see every single thing that you and I face, he faced before us. He faced before us, see, in all points, tested. You see, and everything about this life for us in Christ is, is God testing our complete dependence upon him. So here's this circumstance and situation, all these things that are going on in our life, in our own circles, our family circles, and then go out in our country and all through the world. All of those things become our opportunity to bring in his rest, to bring in his rest for us. Because we know it's already ours in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. Because he was the lamb in Hebrews and uh, Roman and uh, Revelations 13, verse 8. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And he came as a lamb already slain. And so tested. See, the enemy comes in and tempts in Hebrews, even in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There's no temptation. Who tempts us? Is it God in James 1 and verse 13? No. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt any man. But boy, the enemy wants to get us to experience the flesh. The moment we doubt, the moment we fear, the moment we have an option to completely trust him. Because if we don't, then the enemy comes in. Then the enemy comes in against us. But we have this high priest who's went through all of this like as we you see where it's like as we? And then it says, without sin. And that's making it clear, listen, clear that Jesus never had a sin nature, ever. He was the spotless Lamb of God. His blood was pure, way different than anyone else's blood. We know that based upon Leviticus 17 and verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. <laughs> that's how it's formed. And so his blood was perfect. Yes, he had to have his spiritual death, and that's what, that's what finished the work. But the revelation of the accomplishment of it was the blood that came out. That was after his death. Proof of it. His shed blood. And that's why in Revelations 5 and verse 6, when we're finally facing him individually and doing it corporately in that sense, but doing it always in an individual sense. You see that everything that God has given us through this word, he's given it to us as individuals, did you know? Very specifically. And that's why we can fellowship and give Christ to one another. Because of that fact, in a way that no one else can, because God designed us through Christ to be that. Not just, obviously, for his glory, for Christ's glory and our blessing, but for the blessing of others. That's what the joint is that supplies in, in, uh, first, uh, in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. So as we wrap this up this morning, we do have that high priest. He went through it. He went through everything like we would, yet he didn't have a sin nature, but he felt pain. He felt hatred. He felt rejection. He like, we, like no man has ever done. And the reason is, is because everything that should have come to you and I went to him so that he could go before us. And right here on this earth, he's, going, he's gone before us. He's gone before us. So therefore, in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. Oh, we won't come boldly without his love. 
We won't. 1 John 4, 17, it says we're to have boldness in the day of judgment. But we're to have boldness right now to keep coming. Because even when we do face him at the Bema seat in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and in Romans 14, 10 to 12, when we do go there, there's boldness. There's no fear. Because there's no fear in love. Because, because we're to have boldness in the day of judgment. So if that's when we're supposed to have it, shouldn't we have it now? He's the same. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's not only the eternal Christ, but that's the Son of God with us in him. <laughs> he never changes. He never, never changes in Malachi 3, 6 and in James 1 and verse 17. So let us therefore come boldly because we're to have that boldness in the day of judgment because as he is right now, so are we in this world. And there's no fear in love. Uh-uh, no fear. There's a godly reverence, yes. A godly awe, yes. That keeps out the wrong kind of fear. And boy, we need, we need it, don't we? Because it is ours. So let us come boldly, therefore, unto the throne of grace. You see, that's what it is for us. And even in that sense, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's just waiting for us to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we, what? That we might obtain mercy experientially because it's all of ours and find grace to help. And in some translations and in the original, it says right in the nick of time, just when the enemy wants to come in and flood us with some kind of fear to help us to feel some kind of the, uh, the lie of his rejection, the rejection of his lies, to get overwhelmed in our experience. Instantly, instantly, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and he will stop it so quickly and just give us his rest. And we will find that grace right in the nick of time. Oh boy, he gives us this truth. He gives us all of the, these truths and he gives us just enough to keep relying on him more and more. Just enough to get above circumstances. Just enough to get above circumstances to be occupied with Christ in the circumstance and not to be occupied with the circumstances. Not to be occupied with it, but to be occupied with grace. To be occupied with the grace and truth that Christ is. And knowing this, knowing this, at times we may have to wait for wisdom and have to know and learn in patience. But one thing we know is he knows all things in 1 John 3.20. He knows them all. He knows them like no one else. And certainly, certainly, he knows us in his son like no one else. <laughs> and boy, he wants us to know that in a most beautiful way. And to know that we may not know tomorrow's future, but we know what our eternal future is. It's way above time. And that's our future. Our future, our future is glory. It's filled with glory. I just think of so many as I was sitting uh, this morning just privately going over these uh, things and, and uh, just reading certain men. 
that God has used to minister to me for years, and most of them uh, the 1800s in a, in a beautiful way, and how some of them felt with all their labor, you know, that it was laboring, and a godly labor, by the way, not the labor of sin, but godly labor being yoked up to him in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, yoked up to Christ, that they just feel more and more their body hasn't entered into, physically, into the other world, but their spirit has. Their, their spirit has, and he's preparing us. Either to go with him individually or corporately in the rapture. Corporately. But he is with us all the way through. He, the great truth for us is this, that because Christ is our rest and he's finished the work in John 19.30, if it, because that's true, because that, that particular thing is true, we know, we know this, that he settled everything already. Did you know he settled everything about us already? There's not one thing that he will allow us to face that he hasn't settled already. He's already settled it. Every single thing, he settled it. What a giving God we have. What a giving, unbelievably giving God. And we can be thankful for the counsel that he gives us. And, and, and we don't have to hold back. We can give him the sacrifices of praise. You know, in Hebrews 13 and verse, verse 15, and, and in 1 Peter 2.11, 1 Peter 2.11 says, we're strangers and pilgrims in this world system. We're not settling down. We're on our way, just like those that left England on the Mayflower. They're on their way to a different world a world where they could experience freedom. And we're on our way. We're on our way to the face-to-face -face meeting with our personal great high priest, uh, Jesus Christ. We're on our way to him. And, and uh, we can trust him that every single thing is in his hands. Listen, it already is in his hands, and we have to trust him and leave it there. Otherwise, our hands get in the way. Our hands get in the way of his pierced hands that he's leading us. And we already belong to another world. Hebrews 13, 14, it says, For here we don't have a continuing city. We don't, but we seek one to come. And let us by him, because of him, offer these sacrifices of praise to him and just be occupied with him. And be still in Psalm 46.10 and know that he's God to be still. And let our words be few in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. And when we come to hear the word to come and just to be so prepared in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. And I mean inwardly. I'm not talking about anything other than that. I'm talking about each of us inwardly as adults. And sometimes we have beautiful, precious children that we love deeply. I'm not talking about them or even what they do. I'm talking about each of us inwardly. That's all I'm talking about. Because we have inward peace. And, and we have it because Christ is in us. And it's, it's a very wonderful thing. And so as we close, everything about us is our Father's love and the fact that Christ is everything. And he's bringing us to consciously experience absolute trust and dependence upon Christ, whether we live or whether we die. And that's what Paul was saying in Philippians 1, uh, 21. To me, to live is Christ, he said. To die is gain. So in either one, he's everything. 
Because death to us, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, is just the door to eternity with him. Just to eternity with him. And so he has felt every single thing. He's felt everything. And our place is to trust him. Because he's never failed us. He never once has ever failed us. And he just wants to have him glorified in us for us to be a blessing. But he wants us to be his little stars that others see. And they can see, oh, you know what? I can see it in this person. You know, what a witness they are. What a light they are to Christ and the truth. And I thank God that God has put this person in my life to light up so many people that I knew. Uh, and some loved ones that I had, and they were in different places working, and the cards that they received, some of the cards, unsaved people, people that were living in some bad sins, but they would send the cards to these people and say, I thank you. I'm, thank you. You, you. you were a light to me in my darkness. And uh, what a privilege that is. Oh, because we can rest in him. And we can rest in him because... We need to trust him constantly for his guidance. He will be our guide in Psalm 48 and verse 14. He's going to be our guide unto, unto death. And death is just our eternal meeting with him. That's all it is for us. We don't fear it at all. There's no fear in love. Because love that's completed everything about us casts out fear. Because fear, oh boy, fear has torment, torture. It's that Greek word, kolesis. K-O-L-A-S-I-S, Colossus, and the enemy wants to give us some of his obnoxious evil fear. But no, love that's complete, and he's completed everything about us, casts out fear. He doesn't want any of his children, neither would you. You wouldn't want your child living in any kind of fear. You would want your love to cast it out. So Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning. Thank you that it's, it's your work. You have done it. And that we can be the vessels of it. We are saved by grace. Constantly delivered to, with it too. And, and it's by faith dependence. And even that's not of ourselves. But it is a gift of God and not of works. Because it leaves out all boasting. For we are your workmanship. You know, each one of us here is his particular workmanship. Designed like only he could do. And thank you for each person here. The big people and the little people. All of the people, and I mean it. And thank you that we have the opportunity just to love on each other with Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.